Welcome to the EMSO Talks podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of EMSO Talks. My name is Ivailo Vasilinov. I'm Chief Strategist here at EMSO. Today, I would like to share our latest views on South Africa, which continues to be a key focus for many investors looking at emerging markets. I think it's fair to say that the period since our previous update on South Africa last year has been quite an eventful one for the country, both in terms of political and economic developments. As we highlighted last year, investor hopes for much-needed structural reforms have been running high ever since the election of Cyril Ramaphosa as ANC president back in 2018. It's true to say that progress has been slow, we haven't seen many of these reforms come through, but nonetheless sentiment was largely positive for most of last year. The main reason for this has been Ramaphosa's constructive stance on fighting corruption, first and foremost, and also reforming key sectors such as energy, the economy, justice and the police, as well as the improved prospects for political stability following the tumultuous end of former President Zuma's term. Of course, all of a sudden, last December, the latter factor, namely political stability, was quite severely challenged in the furore that surrounded the Palapala investigation report. Just as a reminder to listeners, Palapala is President Ramaphosa's private game farm in Limpopo, where a burglary took place in February 2020. The subsequent investigation raised a number of questions about the origin of the money that was stolen and whether or not uh, that money was declared properly, as well as how the initial response to the incident was handled by the president's staff. In December, the official report into the incident left open some questions about Ramaphosa's role in the handling of these events, and this triggered a concerted effort by the opposition, both outside but also within the ANC, to instigate an impeachment vote against the president. In the event, Ramaphosa's allies rallied around him and were able to prevent an impeachment process, and ultimately they were able to kick the issue into the long grass, although I should add that several investigations into the matter are still ongoing. In turn, avoiding impeachment allowed Ramaphosa to go ahead with his plans to run for a second ANC presidential term, and he duly won a comfortable majority later in December. I would say the net outcome from the ANC's elective conference in December was actually in many ways positive for Ramaphosa. Not only was he elected and re-elected for another five-year term, but he was also able to strengthen his internal party position, with his allies now forming a majority on the party's National Executive Committee. Nonetheless, I do believe the incident appears to have damaged Ramaphosa's image and credibility to some extent, and this could yet come back to haunt him in the medium term. As mentioned, there are ongoing investigations that could yet generate unfavorable headlines and even potential consequences such as fines or charges. And perhaps even more importantly, the whole ordeal may have diminished Ramaphosa's appetite to remain in his position for the full duration of his second term. There were already strong suggestions back in December that the president had decided to step down and had to be convinced by his allies to carry on. Should the pressure, the criticism, the noise become too much for the president to bear, his potential resignation could send shockwaves through both the domestic political landscape and South Africa's financial markets, especially if the president decided to step down or was ousted before the upcoming 2024 election. That election is starting to appear ever more existentially important to the ANC. And this is because the party's approval ratings have remained in a long-term decline, from 57.5% in the previous election in 2019 to a never-before-seen 46% in the municipal elections in 2021, and even as low as 40% in certain regions in recent opinion polls. Now, the party's inability to rid itself of corruption allegations is one contributing factor to this relative demise, but I would say even bigger damage has been caused by more pressing economic developments in recent months. Of course, foremost among those has been the energy crisis, which has gripped South Africa's entire economy. It is virtually impossible to avoid discussions of the energy crisis when you're on the ground. It truly does affect most aspects of everyday life, 
uh, during my recent visit to the country, I got uh, quite a shock the first couple of times when the power was disrupted in the middle of the night and every appliance in the hotel room was reset. It's quite startling to be woken up several times a night by beeping and blinking lights and screens and house alarms going off and so on. Uh, it does happen at irregular intervals. It's difficult to predict. It happens on most, most days and nights. Um, and I would say it's no wonder that people on the ground are exhausted and fed up with this environment. Uh, but on a more serious note, uh, away from the everyday disruptions, uh, with load shedding deteriorating substantially in recent months to reach state 6 in, uh, on a number of occasions, uh, there are sizable negative knock-on effects that have been triggered, probably most importantly disruptions to other crucial utilities such as water supplies. Uh, and in turn, this is creating major challenges for everyone, from households to hospitals and other public facilities, businesses, and in turn this is proving very damaging to the ANC on the political front. Opinion polls show that uh, long-term ANC supporters are deserting the party over these latest disruptions, and that's something for the, for the party to bear in mind. Unfortunately, given the dire straits of the energy and power infrastructure, there is a considerable risk that uh, further deterioration will be coming through in the short term. In recent um, incidents, for example, at ESCOM's power plant in Kusile, where a 9-meter wide flue duct uh, collapsed under the weight of ash buildup inside the pipe and took out more than 2,000 megawatts of power capacity, We've seen a lot of evidence that uh, the situation is very precarious at present. There are, of course, other examples of infrastructure failure. And on top of that, we have the ever-present risk and threat from sabotage. And with virtually no backup options, any further power generation setbacks could create the risk of even greater load shedding going forward. In fact, just this week, the authorities announced that they were drafting new load shedding stages for the country, planning for the possibility that ESCOM is forced to move beyond stage 8 load shedding, which is currently the highest level envisaged in the contingency plans. How do these issues feed into the outlook for the 2024 elections? Well, two factors remain crucial for the ANC in our view. First, that Ramaphosa leads the party into the election, given that his personal approval ratings remain considerably above those of the ANC itself. And second, that load shedding is reduced meaningfully as quickly as possible. Based on current trends, the ANC already looks highly likely to slip below 50% at the national level for the first time in its history in next year's election. However, depending on how these aforementioned two factors play out, that could make all the difference between the ANC winning, say, 47-48% or slipping all the way down to the low 40s area. In the first scenario, it should be relatively easy for the ANC to find enough MPs to cooperate with either in an official coalition or potentially even on an ad hoc basis, but that should be enough to get them above the 50% threshold. It would be a downgrade from the current status quo of a stable majority government, but nonetheless, it would likely be the market's preferred outcome. In the second scenario, where the ANC support level falls all the way to the low 40s area, a much wider range of outcomes is likely to be on the table, including a potential alliance with the populist leftist EFF faction of Julius Malema. Such a turn of events would likely prove highly concerning for investors, given the associated threats to the outlook for fiscal spending, debt sustainability, inflation, and the energy transition process, among others. As such, there is a risk that, despite Ramaphosa's strengthened position that should, in theory, allow the president to return to his reform agenda this year, political considerations could yet become an increasing distraction for the ANC in the run-up to the next election. If the government were to lose focus on the reform front, several key areas could suffer. One, of course, is the energy sector and ongoing efforts to restructure ESCOM, which finally saw the long-awaited announcement on debt relief in the February budget. But another would be the legislative changes that would need to be approved for South Africa to be taken off the Financial Action Task Force's uh, so-called Grey List, which identifies jurisdictions with weak measures to combat money laundering and terrorist financing. Despite the concerted effort by the National Treasury and record-quick approval of key legislation over the past year, the South African authorities were unable to prevent the downgrade to the Grey List in late February. 
Whilst the government is vowed to move off the list as quickly as possible, historical precedents and the Financial Action Task Force's own guidance suggest that this will take at least a couple of years. The recent experience of Morocco, which incidentally was taken off the grey list at the same time as South Africa was put on it, is uh, also consistent with this two-year minimum period. In Morocco's case, it should be noted that uh, the authorities made a very clear policy priority of getting off the list and to achieve this as quickly as possible, which is not even a certainty in South Africa's case. The concern would be that now that the damage is done from the downgrade, um, there is no longer the incentive there for rapid action to avoid a possible downgrade and therefore efforts going forward could be slower. It's also the case that the outstanding eight measures that South Africa needs to comply with are not directly within the National Treasury's remit. Uh, and again, that suggests that perhaps the speed of progress going forward will be slower than, than we've seen so far. How long South Africa remains on the grey list does matter. Empirical evidence suggests that uh, the negative impact on FDI inflows, ease of doing business conditions and overall GDP growth is non-linear and tends to rise over time. Even for the coming year, according to some estimates, the hit from the grey list inclusion to GDP growth could be around 0.2 percentage points. This might sound small in absolute terms, but it does make all the difference at a time when potential growth is widely considered to be below 1% and the central bank is projecting this year's growth as low as 0.3%. We have laid out a lot of potential risks to the downside, but there is also plenty to highlight on the positive side. On the growth front, one major cause for optimism is the rapidly expanding role of the private sector in tackling the energy crisis in the economy. Households and businesses have been showing remarkable resilience, at least to the lower stages of load shedding, and have accelerated efforts to secure self-sufficiency when it comes to energy generation. We think this process is only likely to accelerate in the coming months. It's true that the associated investment is resulting in a temporary boost to imports, which in turn weighs on the trade and current account balance. But nonetheless, the net impact on growth is said to be positive over the medium term. Most likely, the central bank's latest pessimistic growth projections are underestimating the positive externalities from these trends. And speaking of the central bank, they should once again be commended for a well-managed tightening cycle that has succeeded in keeping inflation and expectations largely in check, almost uniquely amongst other EM peers. Headline inflation peaked as early as July last year at 7.8% and has been grinding lower since then, reaching 6.9% in January. It would of course be premature to declare victory here, given that there is ongoing pressure on core CPI and expectations, and of course there are also risks coming from the recent exchange rate depreciation. But by and large, the SARP has done an excellent job in preserving the credibility of the inflation target. Similar praise should also be extended to the National Treasury, which announced another ambitious yet largely credible budget in late February. Despite the strong economic headwinds, the government's fiscal plan envisages the long-awaited return to primary surplus already in the current 2022-23 fiscal year. Moreover, the fiscal trajectory envisages four consecutive annual budget surpluses at the primary level over the forecast horizon, ensuring that the debt-to-GDP ratio stabilizes even with the aforementioned debt relief program for ESCOM. By managing to avoid a notable increase in domestic government bond issuance for the coming year, National Treasury has alleviated a number of concerns for investors about how the country will navigate through this current difficult growth environment. So, by way of wrapping up, in the early stages of 2023, South Africa once again seems to be facing a largely bifurcated outlook. On the one hand, the terror risks on the domestic political front appear to have increased permanently in the run-up to next year's election. There is also a downside risk to growth in the current environment of disrupted energy supplies. This suggests to us that perhaps there should be a permanent increase in the steady-state risk premium for South African assets for the foreseeable future. On the other hand, however, the macro fundamentals remain relatively sound, with no major imbalances when it comes to inflation, the government's fiscal position, or indeed the current account. Moreover, key domestic institutions such as the SARB or National Treasury 
continue to do an excellent job of navigating through the various challenges. And there is the added potential upside from the presidency being able to refocus in the coming months on at least some parts of its long-standing structural reform agenda. There is also a possibility that the external environment could offer additional support in the coming months, both through the impact from China's economic reopening on key commodity prices, which could once again boost South Africa's terms of trade, and an eventual peak in the US Fed tightening cycle. As always, should you have any follow-up questions, please reach out to our wonderful investor relations team. Thank you and until next time.